Hello, and welcome to The Pursuit, a podcast about pursuing the greater things in life. My name is Taylor. My name is Adam. Thank you guys so much for joining us again this episode. Uh, I just want to say thank you again to each and every one of you that engages with us. Uh, It means so much, and building this community uh, is one of our goals to talk about the things that matter most in life, the things that... uh, grow your mind and expound what it, what it means to pursue things in life. Uh, and this week is a, a topic very near and dear to my heart. It's about exploring inner peace. And uh, a lot of this episode is going to focus on mental health. And I think that this is just ever, ever important in today's society, especially during the quarantine that is going on throughout the world. A lot of people are sitting home, they're alone, they're scared, and they're looking at these events, and it can be distressing. And I, and I don't say that lightly. It is very distressing for so many individuals. They're depressed, they're alone, they feel alone, they feel like maybe their government isn't being there for them, they feel like society hasn't been there for them, and so they feel lost. This is just one example of some kind of trauma that can impact you. And I'm not saying that this specific instance is traumatic for you, but in general, this is an example of something that is affecting so many different people. And I'm talking about the quarantine, and I'm going to lead this into other aspects of this discussion with regards to mental health. And one topic I really want to talk about is trauma. Now, this is something that not everyone is going to experience in life, but it happens. And it happens when you least expect it. It could be divorce. It could be a breakup. It could be abuse. It could be harassment. It could be just one comment that someone said to you. And it impacts you in this incredible way that it creates this distressing environment that somehow creates a hindrance in your life. You are no longer able to feel free You are no longer able to feel like life is maybe even worth living. Trauma can impact our lives and our health in so many profound ways. So how do you deal with that? How do you take trauma and spin it in a way where you can say, hey, I might not be able to be okay with what happened, but I can cope. I can have a good day still. I can live my life. And I can look at this event, put it to the side and say, I understand that this happened. And I am still able to move forward in life. The topic that I want to talk about with regards to trauma is a coping skill that I call reframing. How do you take an event in your life that you view as traumatic, look at it in a way that can be perhaps not good, but okay. The fact that it happened. How do you say, hey, I was dumped. I have a broken heart. And instead of choosing the path of victimizing, instead of saying, hey, my life sucks. It is her fault. It is his fault. But you look at it and you say, hey, you know what? If this didn't happen, I never would have done X, Y, or Z. 
I never would be able to look at life in the way that I look at it now. How do you feel gratitude for something horrible that has happened to you in this life? How do you reframe an event and look at it as not some traumatic, terrible instance, but as a chapter in your life that you need to read in order to get to the next chapter? In every self-help book, you find, you find people talk about trauma. You could talk to different psychoanalysts, different psychiatrists, different therapists, and they'll give you a new technique to use in order to overcome what traumatic loss that you've experienced in your life. Reframing is just one of those. You could use meditation. A lot of times mindfulness is incorporated into the aspects of reframe. But what does it mean to meditate? What does it mean to be mindful? These are, these are really crazy ideas that a lot of people don't even understand. So many times you'll hear people say, you need to just live in the moment. Don't reflect on the past. Just be in the moment. But what does that even mean? How do you be in the moment when you have something in your life like a trauma that is continuously distressing you? Someone who has PTSD wakes up in the night with hot flashes. They wake up sweating. They wake up screaming because they keep reliving an event that has happened in their life. How can you tell that person to just live in the moment? And it's difficult. And that's why you have to explain to them what it means to be in the moment. And this is my little explanation. What does it mean to be mindful? What does it mean to be in the moment? What I would say is you look at this event. You look at these thoughts that are coming into your head. Acknowledge that they are there. No matter what you can say or do, you are feeling those feelings. You are thinking those thoughts. Don't deny that. Accept what it means to think those thoughts. Accept what it means to feel those thoughts. Now, you don't have to just ignore them. You don't have to just start drinking or something to get over it. Take those thoughts, push them to the side, say, hey, I know you're still there. I know that I'm still living in a life where I'm having these thoughts. But you push them to the side and you continue to walk forward. One of my favorite TED Talks talked about the concept of living in the moment, talked about the concept of mindfulness and working through trauma. The whole concept was about people say that you should move on with your life. But when something devastating happens to you, are you allowed to just move on with your life? Of course you are. You're allowed to do anything in life. But in your mind, you might feel trapped. You might say, how can I move on from this when something terrible has happened to me? And so you reframe it. You don't say, I'm going to move on. But you say, hey, I've had this trauma. It is in my life. I now choose to move forward. Not move on, but move forward. What has happened in my life 
has changed me. I'm a different person and that's okay. And I'm going to move forward. So there's a lot to unpack here. And I know someone who might just be listening to this podcast for the first time might think, oh man, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff you're talking about, Taylor. And it is, and it's heavy and it's important. And some people might not understand what it means to go through trauma. They've never had PTSD. They've never experienced a time of utter grief, depression, or sadness. But you probably know someone who has. And maybe take this podcast as some way of helping those who are going through something. And I say trauma, but this advice that we're going to talk about this in, po- in this podcast, it relates to depression. It relates to grief. It relates to all forms of loss that you can experience. To me, these are all traumas. It's a scary word to say, but it's okay to say it. So I'll open this up to you now, Adam. What are your thoughts on all this? What are your thoughts on what it means to go through trauma? And if you were talking to a client and you would say, hey, I'm going through a hard time, Adam. What advice would you give him or her? What do you say, man? Yeah, it's, well, it's a complicated issue. I think there's this idea of mental health. And, you know, obviously the reason I think that we talked about this idea of inner peace is to, to some degree that you can create this, this sense of, of inner peace Peace, I think peace isn't really something that you just find outside yourself. It has to come from somewhere within. And to, to sort of start off with a foundation here of why are we even talking about this? And obviously, we, we know what's going on right now with uh, the COVID-19 isolation epidemic and crisis and uh, a couple interesting couple interesting things I've heard recently is there was a Cigna survey that basically looked at, um, you know, a large population of, of Americans uh, and Canadians, I believe as well. And that a good majority of them, 46% sometimes feel alone and something like uh, 54% said that they always, or sometimes feel that no one knows them well. And I'm a very into some of the blue zones research. These are five places around the planet with longest living people. And what I've heard from them is that I can't remember, maybe, maybe a generation or two ago, your average American would say that they have three close friends. And today it's down to about 1.5 close friends. And obviously the joke is, where does that half friend come from? So, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty shocking thing where we're, we're at a point where we're, we're so connected to each other with our devices, our technology, this, this little supercomputer communicator in our pocket that we can call up and send messages to everybody. And even in this time of unbelievable connectivity through technology, you can go anywhere, you can travel anywhere, you can fly anywhere. And obviously right now with, with the COVID situation, that's not true. 
But even with all of this, and before COVID, people were feeling this way. Even with all of this possibility and all this connectivity, people felt loneliness. They felt so, uh, for some reason, um, not understood by by many people around them. And so, you know that that sort of brings that brings me to this idea of you know, where is this where is this coming from? We've talked a lot about the sense of community and how important community is. And I think if you look at trends across a lot of the developed world, well, there's this interesting thing called the paradox of privilege. And so for a lot of us in this privileged sort of modern developed Western world, sort of the quote unquote global North or first world countries, the trend in the last generation or two has been the, the kids are moving out of the house. The grandparents have their own house. People are more spread out. And when you look at the European Union and the United States of America, there's open movement, open borders. And so people live now, all of a sudden, people live all over the place. And so with all of this possibility and opportunity and freedom becomes more and more separation from each other. And so now... Once upon a time, just a few generations ago, family sort of banded together and stayed together, you know, sort of your community, your close friends and family. You all lived in the same same area. You didn't really have a choice. And now in just a couple generations, people live everywhere and all over the place. And so this has, this has brought, uh, even though we're able to maybe give someone a call on the phone, that, that interaction is... At a, at a lower frequency, it's happening less often. And it's generally just a, it's a less quality sort of interaction. And so this, this loneliness epidemic and this, this uh, progress, quote unquote, in the last generation or two of people moving around, living away from family, having their own house, having their own apartment, and being separated from from everybody that they knew when they grew up. This is, as a, as many things, this is a, a paradox and an irony because it's really uh, separating us. And so, Taylor, I'm I'm curious, you know, for from your perspective as a, you know, as a as a as a young man and. What is what is your feeling? Because sometimes this is talked a lot about for for men specifically that men uh, more even more so than women are less and less connected to to other men and to really having having close friends. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so one of the most interesting things that happened to me on my uh, on my rotations, uh, and for those listening, I'm a I'm a physician assistant. Um, during my student rotations, I, I was rotating in during my psychology rotation, actually, uh, with a wonderful physician. He was from Pakistan, and he, he made this one comment that stuck with me. <laughs> you know, he was very, he's very critical of a lot of things in America, and he said one of the worst things that he found while living in America is the whole concept that once you turn 18, you are now independent. You move out of your parents' home and you move away and you start your own life alone. And there's something about American culture. Uh, you know, there's great things about this too. But there's, it makes us strong. It makes us powerful. 
But there's something about American culture that says that we need to be independent. We need to be the Lone Ranger, the cowboy. We need to go off and venture to the West and just experience world on our own, live the best life that we can. It's all about me, 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 right? It's an individual way of looking at things. And what's interesting is it takes away a lot of the us. It takes away a lot of the we. And he said that he had a, he has a son, and uh, he's probably around 18 right now, and he's just graduated uh, high school, and he got accepted to an internship uh, at Harvard, a very smart young man, and he was interested in medicine, just like his father was, and he got accepted to an internship at Harvard, and uh, with, a, with a chance of getting a uh, a Fulbright scholarship to go there after the internship. And the dad said, and obviously this is a cultural thing. I think any parent would say, go to Harvard. But the dad said, no, I think you should be here with us and our family in Louisville, Kentucky. And I want you to go to U of L in Louisville. And I want you to be here with family. And I want you to live with us. And only once when you're married, are you able to go out and live on your own, and at that point, you're not even going to be alone. You're going to be with your wife, and you're going to start a family. And then you're going to be next to us, close to us, because we're going to form a tight-knit community. Uh, and clearly, this is a cultural difference. Right? I think many American households, American families would say, no, I, I'm going to let my son go to Harvard <laughs> and get that education. And if he, he's going to have a successful life, I'm going to encourage him to do that. And yet... This man was saying, no, I think it's more important for your upbringing that you stay with family, that you build your home with family, because you are going to have a better life being together. And it's, I, that struck me. It struck me. And you look at the way we live our lives in America, and it is such an independent oriented society you even go to instagram and you see these brand ambassadors you see these influencers you, you say the same thing on tiktok or facebook wherever you want to go these people showing how good they look and wearing a specific clothing brand or maybe they're taking photos and i take photos and i love photography i have a photography and poetry page and i i think that is wonderful but at the same time there is a balance to be had. And Adam, uh, you're in Europe now, man. And you're living in a little community home with like a, a five or six other people. And you guys are, it's, it's this society built around nourishing the community. And I'm not saying it's not in America. You go to places like Portland, Denver, San Francisco, all throughout the world, uh, sorry, country, you will find those uh, cities that nurture that uh, community. But it's not like it is. And you're up. Is it, Adam? So why don't you, uh, what do you have to say about that? What is it, what is it like? Do you notice the, the difference between the independence of America and the community living in Europe? Yeah, this is, uh, it, it's something that I've been studying for the last two, two and a half years as I've been traveling around to understand some of these societal and cultural differences because yeah, life in life in Europe is it, it looks similar to life in America, but it has some very significant differences. And what's so interesting, if if we just start at 
some simple facts. So, for example, the 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 Schengen zone, which is a collection of uh, it's increased over the years, but I believe now it's 28 um, different countries that have basically agreed to open their borders to the countries around them. Uh, there's a lot less restrictions, um, and basically they're trusting each other because they have basic basic security levels established to protect protect their country, and so they're opening up. And this Schengen zone is only about 25 years, 25 years old. And so when you look at the sort of the freedom of movement that we've had in America from, I mean, where it's fairly easy to get into Canada and back and forth, vice versa. Um, also relatively easy to go to different places in Mexico and in the Caribbean. And when you look at the freedom that we have across all of North America and some of Central America and the Caribbean, it's, it's really incredible. And that's something that we've had for, for generations. Now the Schengen zone with open borders in Europe is basically only 25 years old and the European union as a, as a united group of countries is, is relatively recent after world war II ended. And so what, what you see over here is that uh, there's still a lot of um, national identity with people who are, they're, they're French, they're, they're British, they're, um, they're Scottish, they're Irish, they're Swedish, they're Dutch, they're German, uh, they're Austrian, they're Swiss. It, it still isn't such a, um, still isn't so easy for, for you to just Go, go start your life somewhere else around here. So what you see is that family and friends typically stay within their countries. And to put it as a perspective, um, Germany is, is about the same size as, as like Arizona or New Mexico. Uh, it's maybe a little bit bigger, but I think it's only maybe 75% of the size of California. And so there's, there's something like 80 million, 85 million people in Germany that are a lot of them. They don't speak some of the other languages of their surrounding countries. Uh, it wouldn't be so easy for them to just move to those other countries. So it's free for them, I guess, to, to travel and vacation to some other countries, but it's not so simple for them to just go start a whole new life there. And I think that's a really critical thing uh, where people just generally stay in their country and their culture. There's, there's some national identity for them to be French or to be German or to be, to be British, to be Swedish, to be Dutch. And, and maybe with some of their closest neighbors, like if you're Germany, Austria, Switzerland, something like that, that's fairly easy to, to maybe integrate from culture to culture. They at least speak some similar languages, but even then it's, it's not that simple. Um, right. So, so right. people really have stayed in the same area for multiple generations. And I've heard some different numbers, like in America, the average, the average American will move something like 23 times in their life. And from a lot of people in Europe, I've heard that many of them only move once, twice, maybe three times. And so 
that's a, that's a huge, huge difference in, in a little bit of what's possible. And again, with a paradox or an irony, this has actually kept some, some of the communities more together. It's kept some culture, family, friends, communities together. It maybe hasn't allowed for as much of a mixing of international cultures, that sort of stuff. Um, as you might see how similar some of the states are because they have a lot more ease easily uh, ability to mix with each other in America. Um, it's not quite as easy over here, but it's really opened up in the last 25 years with the open borders. And that makes a huge, it's, people are starting to see it now where now there's people living in different countries across, across uh, the European continent. And so it's a very interesting sort of phenomenon. And, you know, Taylor, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, if you look at like your family and some of your family's background, would you also say that this, this movement and living all over the place is fairly common for, for what you've experienced in America? Right. You know, my, my parents, uh, both from California, right. And, uh, uh, Mom, my mom grew up in Hawaii, and they went to Arizona to raise us. So it's it's been West based, right? And you know, um, my girlfriend just moved to Arizona from uh, Indiana. So you you will see the 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 movement across states, but it differs in the Europe because you're moving country to country. Um, but especially being in Kentucky, you know, people in the Midwest, and perhaps it's a coastal difference to the inland uh, difference. People in the Midwest. And South don't tend to leave as often. They they stay they stay where uh, where they grew up, and they might go away to college, but they'll come back. And you'll see people in Indiana have generations, generations of people that have lived in a small town. Katie's her uh, her family. She's a sixth generation where she's from in this small town that she's from. And, uh, you go to, you talk to a lot of people in Arizona and, you know, you'll be hard pressed to find someone whose parents grew up in Arizona. It's there, but it is not common, but you might be asking, what does this have to do with inner peace? All right, so why, why are we talking about communities? Why are we talking about the difference between independence and community, and how does this relate to trauma and reframing? And and I'll tell you, it is hard to get through things when you're alone. It is hard to work through and process trauma unless you just have these incredible coping skills to just push away any sort of trauma that might happen in your life. It is difficult to get through things in life when you don't have people in your life to support you. And you might say, well, I feel like I can just reframe things uh, in my own way. Well, if you're able to just do that without any help, then you're probably not experiencing a trauma. You just have wonderful coping skills. But people out there that are alone experience something hurtful. They're not able to look at it in any other way than it is hurtful. But do you know how you find the way to look at things differently? How to take a tragic occurrence in your life and switch it around and reframe it into a positive mindset, you usually get that from someone else. You get that from a friend. 
You get that from a family member. You get that from a therapist, which is really the whole point of therapy, by the way. It's so the therapist can take an unobjective way of seeing how you look at things, spin it around and say, hey, that sounds unreasonable. How about we look at things this way? Unfortunately, we only have the thoughts in our head that we already have in our head. That's a weird thing to say. Right? It doesn't make much sense. But let me say it like this. You experience a trauma and you are unable to create this, this reframing. You need someone to help you look at things differently. And you can get that from a self-help book. You can get that from a therapist, a friend. But it's hard to do it alone. It really is. It really, really is. And that right there is a huge difference between uh, rates of depression in places like Europe to places like America. And obviously, it's going to be different state to state. But uh, you're going to find a lot of pockets of America where people are living alone They don't socialize. They don't engage in community. And they find themselves being chronically sad. And they have not developed the skills to socialize in the way that would, be, that would uh, behoove them. I'm not saying that these guys are going through PTSD-like situations. But at the same time, their baseline of happiness is going to be a little bit lower than someone who really is engaging in a social situation so much more. You know? So... What would you say to that, Adam? You, 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 see, you see someone who's living alone. They have no friends. They, they don't have anyone to talk to. And they're going through a tough time. It's probably a little easier if they had someone with them, right? Someone to help talk through things. Yeah, you know, it's, it's again, it's this idea... You know, one of the worst punishments, right, is, is solitary confinement. And, and, and if you're not already being punished enough in prison, one of the worst things that they'll do to you is they'll they'll put you in alone in solitary confinement for for hours and days at a time. And you see this sort of dramatized in, in movies and television shows. And and in a funny way, that's what's happening on a wide scale out there where people are incredibly um, isolated and alone. And like you said, if you don't feel that you have somebody that you can speak to about some of the deepest things in your life, what ends up happening is these thoughts, these emotions, these feelings, this energy that you're experiencing, you end up sort of it has nowhere to go. It's just sort of stuck somewhere in you and in your head and in your mind and in your thoughts. And one of my favorite quotes from Gandhi, is he says, happiness is when you, when what you think, what you say, and what you do are in harmony. Now, what happens if you don't have anybody to, to speak to? When you're just sort of stuck in your own head, thinking, thinking these things, you don't have a way to to say something, to talk it out, to work it out, it, it's gonna it's gonna get lost in there, and and this is in a sense where some of the some of the struggle really starts here is is instead of being able to talk this stuff out and work it out with neighbors, with friends, with family, with people in your community, it just gets stuck in there, and a lot of people 
don't actually want to talk about it with, with other people. So they just push it down and they sort of try and push it away, ignore it. And, and needless to say, that's, that's going to create a lot of, uh, inner, inner chaos and inner, inner pain and suffering. And so the idea here is that when we can bring more people into our life, when we can be open and honest and authentic and vulnerable with them, when we can really start to talk about whatever is going on and it's totally fine, whatever you want to talk about, that's when you start to work some of these thoughts out and some of these things out and you can get back to some semblance, some semblance of harmony. So when I, when I run into people like this, you know, I, I'm always trying to ask questions and, and go deeper with people and really build a relationship. And, and we, we, we used to have this old joke and, and, uh, SIGEP in the fraternity back in the day where we'd say, get out your shovels. Let's, let's, let's go deep because it, it's, it's not always comfortable to, you know, just like you can imagine if you were out in your backyard with a shovel, you wanted to dig a big hole. Yeah. It takes some work. You know, you, it's, you're going to sweat a little bit, you know, maybe at first it's not, it's not very comfortable, but you know, you, you've really got to, to open up that possibility. And one of the ways, the easiest ways to start going deep with people is to just be curious, just be asking questions. And so, Again, this idea of when you think something, you think, huh, I wonder that about them. Why not ask it? Why not, why not open up the conversation? And this is a, a bit of a, an untraining because a lot of people, it's, it's almost like, a, it's almost like a, a joke. People, some people in Europe have already said this to me that a lot of Americans, Canadians, Australian, Australians, they'll say, you know, hey, how you doing? but they don't actually mean it. They're, they're not really asking, how are you doing? And the default response is, yeah, I'm good. Uh, how about you? And so people aren't really being honest with each other. And so you can find different ways to ask questions and, and get out of that sort of uh, programming of, of just asking a very superficial question and ask something that you're genuinely curious about. Taylor, I think, I think you're somebody that asks a lot of good questions. And I know for me, uh, you know, you, you've been, you've been a wonderful friend to help me get out of my head sometimes and ask sort of the right kind of questions that, uh, it, like we talk about this, it's almost impossible to get out of your own head sometimes or to shift your own perspective. It often comes from an external source that helps, helps get you out of your head. And so Taylor, how would you, how, you know, how would you go about this idea of, of getting deep, getting vulnerable, building a relationship with somebody starting, if you don't have friends, or you don't have a close community, how would you do, how would you go about doing that? Cause I, I think you're really great with people. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. And, uh, I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought this up because, uh, learning how to talk to someone can be kind of a skill that you develop over time. And, uh, people don't quite understand that until they hear a good conversation and engage in a good conversation. Um, so, you know, you know how you said that you don't, this whole small talk thing, like, how are you doing? That's, that's a question that you don't quite go into, right? That's not something you don't like to, to ask about because what kind of response are you honestly going to get? 
Um, so sometimes I actually, I'm, I'm rather direct. And I did this with you, Adam, actually right before we called. And I was like, so how, uh, how you doing, man? How's, uh, how your emotions? <laughs> you know, how's, uh, what's going on in your head? You know, and really just talk about those emotions because sometimes people are going through stuff and you just need to be upfront and be, and ask them what's really going on in your head and be genuine about it. Um, I do this with my girlfriend all the time. Uh, she could be having a great day. And at the end of the day, I usually say, Hey, what's, uh, how you doing? How's your day? How, what's your, uh, what's your emotions like? And that's such an awkward question to ask, right? It's a really awkward way of asking someone how they're doing. Uh, but you know, I get a lot of great answers and a lot of times she'll open up to me and she said, Hey, you know, God, I've just been having this thought all day. And I wasn't really thinking about bringing it up, but I thought maybe I would just like to talk about it. And I'm like, yes, please, let's talk about it. So what happens when someone brings up something to you that is struggling them, right? Let's say that they, a girl or guy broke their heart or something happened in the day, little or big, that affected them. How do you as the respondent react? How do you be the friend? And I see a lot of people out there that they hear something that angers them, right? They say, oh, you know, my girlfriend said this thing to me and it really bothered me, really pissed me off. A lot of people think that being a good friend means that you should encourage those emotions. Like, oh, what an asshole. Can't believe he did that. And they just rub them that way. They, they validate their feelings. And that is true in a lot of ways. You have to validate, validate the way people are feeling. But then also introduce a little bit of empathy. So you have to kind of use both of those concepts in order to, to look at a situation. Validate someone. They say, hey, I'm sad. You say, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, it's okay to be sad. Validate then you got to empathize. Look at that situation. Look at the way that the person you were, you talked to feels, and then look at the way the other person might have felt. I think sometimes introducing non-objectively the way both parties involved felt about a situation can help someone get through something. I know a lot of people who have gone through trauma find relief, not from understanding the way that they feel, but by understanding the way that the other person felt. If someone said something mean to you, right? He was rude to you. Maybe that person was going through a bad day. Maybe that person was running late to pick up his kids from school and he hasn't had a chance to be there for his kids recently. And he knew that he needed to be there to pick up his kids from school. And so he sped past you, cut you off in the lane. And so you honked your horn and you were frustrated. You said, why do people have to always do that? That's a better example. A little better better than the the guy that murdered the family example. But at the same time, that's that's how you find find a way to to talk through things. Wouldn't you say, Adam? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about here, one of the one of the things when I when I do coaching with people and 
one of the things that people talk to me about is that their minds are so full and that they're, they're distracted. They're all over the place and they're in their head a lot. They have all these thoughts. And I wanted to go through some, some very practical tips and tricks and tools that, that I've found to be incredibly helpful and, and stuff that people could really use. Cause it's, you know, first, obviously, if you're so lost in your own head, there's so much sort of mental mind chatter that's going on. It's like the busyness, the noise is really turned up in your own, your own space and in your own head. It's going to be really difficult to be there with somebody else and connect with them. So here's a few things that, that I've found that are, that are really powerful. You know, number one is, is really just being with other people. Now, obviously, you know, the idea isn't to uh, be around other people 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But but when you get to be with other people, friends, family, whatever, it really takes you out of your stuff and yourself. And for myself, like I, I live with six people. Uh, we have we have two rabbits uh, and, and six chickens. Uh, and we're pretty close to, to some of our neighbors around here. Uh, and we have some, some friends close by. And so it's fairly easy for me to, to get out of my home, own head and get into somebody else's life around here because there are just people around, people that I can, I can spend time with. So that's, that's pretty huge. And obviously, you know, we know these ideas like spending time with animals, spending, spending time in nature. These are great ways to also almost immediately get out of your head because when we're inside a building by ourselves, it's pretty easy. Like there's not, there's everything around you is, is I hate to say it, but everything around you is, is pretty much lifeless. You know, the walls, the bed, the dress, the dresser, the desk, uh, none of this stuff is really beaming with life. You go outside into a forest and you hear the birds chirping, you see the animals around you, you're with friends, you know, these, these things are, are interacting with you. And so, you know, that's a, that's a really, that's a really powerful one. And, uh, before I go into some of the other ones, I mean, I, Taylor, I want to hear your opinion on, on that one. Uh, how do you, how have you found, uh, that the importance of that and how do you integrate just sort of, uh, being with other people and not just sitting alone by yourself too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, what does it mean to have a conversation? Well, there's two parts. There's listening and then there's the communicating part. But I think people take for granted that first part listening. That is, that is half the conversation. And in a lot of ways, if you're talking to someone who needs to be heard, it is most of the conversation. So what does it mean to be there for someone? That means listening, actively listening, paying attention, just being there for that person. So many people, when they have conversations in life, they, they're having these conversations and they're listening to their friend talk about something and in the back of their mind. All they can think about is the next thing that they are going to say. And then, you know, a lot of people would just interject. Someone has something they need to get off their chest and they're talking about it. And then the other person who's listening just interjects, interrupts, 
gets said what they need to be said. And never do they stop and just listen. Just be there. Just just be there and listen. Because sometimes people just need to be heard. That's what it means to be there. That's what it means to, to recognize your role in a situation where if someone is going through a moment, you need to just be there and listen. And a lot of times when someone gets something off their chest, the fact that they even had someone be there for them makes all the difference. It really, really does. And so take that into consideration next time you have a friend or family member or any loved one that is struggling and needs support. I challenge you to, to listen and to be there, to sit next to them and just to be there. Let them talk. And if there's a pause in the conversation, you don't have to enforce any opinion. You don't have to disagree with the way they feel. Just encourage them to keep talking. And uh, that last point is actually so true for a lot of people. You'll, you'll find many, many individuals will disagree with the way you're feeling about something. Uh, I don't know if you've ever felt like this, Adam, but you're talking and trying to get something off your chest. Something is bothering you and you're confiding in someone and you're, you're letting it all out there on the table. And then, you, then the person who you're talking to, they like disagree with the way that you feel. They say, oh, no, 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 you shouldn't be feeling that way. Let me tell you how you should feel. You should be feeling happy because of X, Y, and Z. Sure, that's reframing, right? But, you know, you're, you're taking away the validating part of the whole conversation. They feel, I feel the way I feel. You can't change my emotions. You can't take away the sadness, the grief that I'm experiencing. You can't just say, oh, well, you should be grateful that she dumped you, that he dumped you. Eh, it's not that easy. You can't just go straight from sadness to gratitude. Do you, ever, do you ever feel like that, Adam? Do you ever feel like someone is just like disagreeing with the way you feel? And, and they just t- take away the whole listening part. And they say, hey, no, let me tell you how you should feel. You should feel happy that this happened. Or angry. It's like, no, man, I'm sad. You ever feel like that? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think that's something, whether, whether it's right or wrong or good or bad, none of that really matters. The truth of the matter is, is that you're feeling how you're feeling or I'm feeling how I'm feeling. And that's, that's just, that's just the way it is. So putting a bunch of judgments and labels and right or wrong on it isn't, isn't going to help the situation. So when you're able to just sort of you know, validate it and be there with somebody and say, you know, Hey, like I hear you, damn, you know, that, that's, that's really, it sounds really tough and, you know, and not trying to make comparisons, not trying to make judgments. This is, this is really powerful and and really key to be there with someone. And, you know, I, I think another one that's, that's just terribly, terribly practical is, I know it sounds super simple and it actually almost sounds weird in today's day and age, but you know, nowadays I, I leave my phone off and my, my computer off, my technology off almost something like probably 12 to to 16 hours a day. 
once it once it's around dinner time and I'm I'm eating eating dinner with with Sonia or I'm eating dinner with other people or uh, with friends, I turn everything off. And some people turn this into a game, you know, like everybody puts their phone on the table, they stack them all up if you're out with friends. And, and the first person that, you know, goes for their phone and grabs, it has to pay, has to pay for the meal, but it sounds deceptively simple, but just making that conscious effort to really turn off the distractions and be there with somebody is, is huge. Um, and this is something that I think is, is again, a very practical tip because when your your mind, your mental capacity is is limited, just like how much energy you have in a given day, just like uh, you know how much food have you eaten? Well, that gives you a certain amount of calories and a certain amount of energy. Your mind, your mental brain capacity is limited. So if you got twenty percent of your head in your phone, ten uh, percent of your head, and in that project over there. Uh, 10% of your head wondering about how your, how your, your significant other's doing. And then 10% of your head's thinking about the news or, or COVID or something like that. If you split your available mental capacity in all these different ways, it's, it's incredibly hard to be fully, fully present with somebody. And, and they know it, they can really sense that they really get the feeling of, of, are you there with them or are you not? And, you know, Taylor, I, I'm curious, you know, what, have you done anything? Have you, I, when you, when you're in a conversation with somebody and you notice that they're not really there with you, they're not really present. They're sort of floating around somewhere else. Have you figured out a sort of a, a polite way to, 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 to snap them back in and sort of say, you know, Hey, uh, are you here with me or, or, uh, should we, should we, should we talk another time or what's, what's going on? Or have you find it, have found any really good ways to, um, to create presence in, in these conversations? Taylor, I think, uh, you still might be, might be muted. Ah, yes, I was. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I, you know, at the end of the day, you can't, you can't force someone to, to just have a conversation with you, you know, and, and, and you're right. If someone does pick up their phone in the middle of a dinner, start looking at it, it, it comes off like they're not interested. It's, it's true. And there's, there's no way around that. And at the end of the day, you just have to you have to be okay that even if you want to engage with someone, if they're not willing to, to share the other half of that conversation with you, then maybe that's not the conversation that you need to be having right now. Because if you need help and you really need to talk to someone about what's going on, you want to talk to someone who's going to be there and who's going to listen. But if you know, let's say it's your mom that's doing this or, or someone that you really need to talk to, express to them how important it is that you have this conversation. Say, hey, I really would like to talk with you. This is pretty important to me. Um, is it okay if we just, if we take this serious for a moment? 
And then hopefully that other person will put their phone away and say, hey, I'm so sorry. I would love to have this conversation with you. And uh, some things I was thinking about, Adam. What not to say to someone who's going through grief or what not to say to someone who's going through trauma or depression. There's a, there's, there's a lot of things that could go asway. And uh, one thing that I, that I think of in particular is comparisons. You brought up comparisons earlier, but let's say that you go through a divorce, right? I, there's the people out there that will say something along the lines of, well, it could have been worse. Look what happened to Brad over there. She left him and then slept with his best friend. That's pretty horrible. You could, it's, you could have been Brad, you know, but, you know, I'm not Brad, you know, and what happened to me sucks too. You know, you, when people start to diminish what happened to you or to someone else because of some comparison, also, it's not right. You know, you feel the way you feel, just like we talked about. You can't change the way that you feel and comparing to someone else is not going to do anyone any, any good. So what do you, is there anything in particular that you think Adam, of what not to say? Yeah. You know, I, it, it's a funny, it's a funny one that people use a lot, but this sort of, I know how you feel that that's something that actually, I think depending upon the situation is, is not a good thing to say. Because if somebody brings something very, whew, very powerful, very personal to to you, and you sort of say, you know, hey, I, I know how you feel. This thing happened to me, and it's yeah, it's it's pretty similar. You know, that that's something that people it 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 it, it feels very natural. A lot of people say this. I know how you feel, but it's just something that you should probably really save for not so serious situations and also for I know also how you for, feel. I was gonna say like I know I hate feel let me talk about myself like I'm doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know it's 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 um you know it's actually one of the better things that you can say which a, a professor said to me once and I really liked it was this idea of wow you know I, that I actually can't I can't imagine I can't imagine what that's like for you, right? Like maybe I've been through some stuff similar, but yeah, you know, it's 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 pretty different. I can't imagine that's I can't imagine how you're feeling right now. And and it's that's an honest thing. Like you you haven't walked in their shoes. You really don't know exactly what they're going through. So it's a pretty powerful thing, uh pretty powerful thing to say and gives them a lot of space to be really honest and authentic and and Taylor, I wanted to I wanted to give a few other practical things here for for people to be able to use, and a lot of this again is to some semblance of helping people get really present in this moment, so that they can that the mind slows down, the noise and some of the the chaos of the storm slows down, and some of this is is easier said than done, but it's a great practice to start working on now. And, and the key concept here is this idea of totally accepting the moment that you're in right now, which for some people, it's almost impossible to differentiate this moment right now 
and the stuff that they're thinking about, what happened yesterday, what just happened a few minutes ago, what could happen in the future. But being able to literally connect with this present moment is such a powerful thing. And when, when you're struggling, when you're lost in maybe a feeling of suffering or pain, asking this question of what in this present moment is actually a legitimate problem. Like what is really wrong with this moment right now? And, and when you look at it like that and you say, well, I guess nothing. Like I have a bunch of thoughts in my head or I'm thinking about what something somebody said to me or, but, but ultimately what's really wrong with this present moment right now? That's a great question to ask yourself to, to get clear on actually this moment, this moment's fine. And there's a great little quote about this idea of that past is history. Tomorrow is a mystery and today is a gift. And that's why they call it the present. And this idea of getting really present in this moment and present with another person can really only be done by being here and now and not somewhere else in your thoughts or in your head. And one powerful way to do that is by trying to empty your mind, empty your mind of all this chatter, this, this noise. And of course, there's, there's some very practical ways of doing that. Simplifying your life, getting out a lot of complexity through, through, through concepts like minimalism, um, turning off your technology or phones, uh, bringing presence to your different tasks by really catching your breath. And obviously meditation, mindfulness have become really popular these days. But if you're, if you're not so into some of that, if it, that feels too mystical or mojo, mojo, jojo for you, look at it a little bit more like just catching your breath, just catching your attention and your focus. And one of the ideas that makes meditation and mindfulness so, so powerful is that roughly a lot of neuroscientists and when they look at the brain and the senses, they say that about 80% of our sensory input comes through our eyes and through our vision. So when you just take a second to sit down, even if you're just going, you're about to eat a meal, you just close your eyes for a second and take a couple deep breaths. All of a sudden this, this barrage of sensory input from your eyes really starts, allows you to slow down and really feel your breath, feel your body. And it allows, it allows you to sort of catch up to this moment here right now. And that ability to sort of be in this present moment, empty your mind of all this stuff is one of the most powerful things you can do to be present with another person, but also be present with this moment and find that while you might've had stuff that happened even two minutes ago. If somebody said something to you or something happened, you, you, you fell in your, you, you hit your, you hit your knee or you hit your toe. If you can go to this present moment and say, well, is anything really, really wrong right now? That's a powerful way to really uh, end some of the mind made suffering and chatter that brings us out of this present moment, which really is a gift 
Taylor, have you found any really good ways to, to be here and, and be now in this moment and sort of celebrate what we have today? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought this up because one of the things I really want to talk to you is uh, what do you incorporate in your life to find inner peace? You know, what, what skills or tricks or tips or techniques do you use in your life, Adam, to create a joyful, peaceful, meditative life? So one of the things I do, and this is something I do every single evening with Katie, as we're about to fall asleep, I ask her, what are you grateful for today? What are three things that happened in your life that you're grateful for today? I think you do something similar, Adam, but I always ask that question, and then she asks me the same question. And we do this because no matter what happened in that day, you can find three things that you're grateful for. And some days it's going to be a challenge. Some days you have bad days. Some days just suck. And it is a strain to find three things in your life that you think you could be grateful for. But you do it anyways. And you do it right before you go to sleep. And it calms you. Because if you end the night with some positive thinking, where you reflect on no matter what happened in that day, something good happened, then you're going to find that you're going to sleep better. You're going to be in a better mood. And if you incorporate that habit every single day, over the course of a couple of years, you might surprise yourself by finding a shift in your personality. Finding a shift in the way that you look at things. That's why practicing meditation and mindfulness daily is one of the best tributes that you can have in your day. One of the best ways of, of incorporating a healthy lifestyle is to practice some form of mindfulness every single day. And it doesn't have to be meditation. You know, it doesn't have to be my little gratitude exercise that I did. But finding some way to just sit there in the moment, perhaps, and just look in nature. I think going out to nature is, is, is a great way to get yourself into the present. And I think if you get some sunshine or nature every single day, man, that's going to have some great benefits at the end of the day. Because you look around, you look at that beauty, and you say, hey, this is pretty freaking beautiful. Even if you just sit in front of a tree and just stare at that tree for five minutes, you start to notice things that you never would have noticed before. The cracks on the trunk, the, the withering of, of the branches, the falling of the leaves, how green those leaves are. These are things that you may not have noticed if you didn't just sit there and pay attention to it. Because so many times we just walk and walk through the day looking at our phone, listening to music, listening to a podcast. And we don't even pay attention to all the beauty that is around us. And to find that beauty, you know, beauty doesn't just reward itself to the unexpected host. Sometimes the most beautiful things in life come when you search for them. You notice when you intentionally go on a hike and you're intentionally going to the top and you look around and you find the beauty that is there... That's when you find the beauty. Or you do 
sit down on a bench and just look at nature, you look at a pond, you look at a tree, you will find that beauty. But you have to look for it. It'll come sometimes, but it's going to come a lot more if you're actually... And that right there is being in the moment. That is mindfulness. What about you, Adam? What do you do every day to, to, to get yourself to a place of inner peace? What do you practice? What do you incorporate into your lifestyle? That some of our listeners can do the same for themselves. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I, this is something I've been working on for years, and I have a lot of different practices that I've turned into rituals and call these practices because they are something that you have to practice. You, 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 if you want to live a more happier, peaceful, uh, balanced life, you have to practice them, and that's why they're practices. And something that's really important here to understand is as, as humans, we have this highly advanced and developed brain. And this thing has been evolved through countless, countless generations and centuries. And, and the idea is, is that there's a negativity bias with our brain. Because throughout our evolution, throughout human history, supposedly something like 200,000 years for, for human history, the way that we developed and evolved was a simple, basic survival need. And how did we do that? Well, we needed to make sure that we stayed out of danger. And, and of course, danger is the end. Danger, danger is, is, is survival. It's, it's, it's death. And so number one most important thing is, is staying away from something that, 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 could, that could harm you, could put you in danger. And so the brain is this highly developed uh, almost like supercomputer in our head, but it's number one task is sort of identifying things and making critical judgments about them. And it's often much more likely to, to notice, could something be wrong or dangerous? And that's just the way that, that some of our brain has, has been developed throughout time. So this becomes a bit of a training and a practice that needs to be developed of flipping the switch and reprogramming and reconditioning this thing to be looking for the positive. And so similar to you, Taylor, some of my practices are around looking for, looking for positive, looking for grateful things. And so some stuff that I've done is, well, I've changed how I consume news and what, what sort of news sources I'm letting into my life. So I try and have more of a balance and so I look for positive news sources, uplifting news sources, because when you look at the history of the last hundred years, there's been an incredible amount of advancements. Something like less than 200 years ago, uh, the best, best life expectancy you could, you could hope for was if you were born in, in, uh, in Belgium. And, and if you were lucky roughly 200 years ago and you were born into Belgium, you'd have an average life expectancy of 45 years old. And in less than just five or six generations, we've gotten to, we've gotten to something like, uh, I, I believe now every single country in the world pretty much has a life expectancy over 55 years old. So there's been a lot of positive, positive, incredible advancements in the last number of generations 
but we just don't really see that stuff. We have this negativity, negativity bias. So you really have to train yourself on this. And so changing the way that you're consuming news sources and what you're allowing into your space, really cultivating your space, creating peace and stillness. Obviously one great way is to create a little bit of silence to, to maybe go outside into nature, to, to just listen to, to what's, what's going on for, for me, similar to you, Taylor, I also have a fairly, um, structured, but short and sweet, uh, gratitude and mindfulness journaling practice where in the morning I'll, I'll wake up and I'll answer a couple questions. First one is, you know, what are three things that, that I can be grateful for? And these don't need to be complicated. They can be, Hey, you know, it looks like a nice day. It's, it's, it's sunny outside. There's some blue sky or, you know, wow. Like, look at, I just, there's, I don't know, the air, the air is, the air is clean and I'm lucky to breathe some clean air. Uh, so very simple things. The second one would be, what are a few things that would make today a great day? And so if you just ask yourself that question, or if you have a little notebook, a little journal to say, what are three things that would make today a great day? You can set yourself up for success because you know, okay, well, if I get this thing done and if I go and do that, you're already putting your attention and putting your focus on those things that would make the day great. And then maybe just a couple affirmations like, Hey, I'm healthy. Uh, I have, I have, uh, I'm, I'm lucky to be, to be in a, a place where there's, where there's, there's plentiful water or food, but some affirmations about, you know, Hey, I'm healthy. Uh, I have everything I need. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, the, I'm, I'm full. I'm not hungry. Uh, some affirmations about yourself and about your condition. And then in the evening I do just simple, same as you. I talk about it with someone, um, if it's possible, or I write it down, but what were three unique and special things from the day that, you know, really were, were really incredible, really special somehow. And just something simple, maybe something new happened, but that, that can be a really thing, great thing to be grateful for. And then what's something positive that I learned from today? You know, what did I, what did I learn on my, on my journey through life? And that's a, those are, those are some simple practices that I, I believe, again, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a practice. It's a bit of a training, but five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the evening, uh, and then for me, I always, I always do a little bit of mindfulness and meditation before, before meals. So maybe it's just a few minutes, maybe it's just five minutes, maybe it's 10 minutes, but just, you know, before I, before I jump into eating and, and quickly, quickly, quickly going through my day or, or a lot of people watch, watch series or movies while they eat, just taking a few minutes to sort of catch your breath close your eyes, feel your breath. Maybe you can think about, you know, wow, I'm really, I'm really grateful for this, this food. You know, like I'm not a farmer. I didn't have to grow any of this food. I, I didn't have to really work that hard for this food. And yet I've got a full plate of food here in front of me, but just something small to slow down and create a moment of stillness. And Taylor, this is, you know, we're in, we're in our book club right now. And reading this, this new book from Ryan holiday called stillness is the key. And that's a hugely important thing of just cultivating stillness and cultivating peace, because if you don't cultivate it, 
if you don't create it, it's not going to come to you. And you have to really make the space for a little bit of stillness and peace in your life so you can slow things down. So Taylor, what, what else would you say about it? Yeah, I agree with you. It's true. You have to cultivate these practices. You get to practice it every day. And I think some people will look at that like you're practicing this as if one day you will just be happy. You're like you're just going to wake up and all that hard work that you utilized and mindfulness practice is going to pay off. But it's a gradual, gradual thing. It's not like today you're going to just turn around and look at the last two years and be like, wow, I'm suddenly happy. But this practice is something that where two years from now, you won't even have to turn around and expect to look at the difference between today and then because you're just going to be at peace. And you'll notice that you'll have stopped thinking about these things. And it takes a while and it's gradual. It's minuscule changes that happen every single day. But you practice them. You practice mindfulness. You practice meditation, gratitude. Everyone's going to have different skills and, and, and practice techniques that they're going to incorporate. But I challenge everyone to do something. The only decision that is wrong is not making a decision at all. And you can use that advice in anything that you do. But just do something. Even if it's five minutes a day, go on a walk. Be in nature for five minutes. Go spend time with family for five minutes and be there. Like we talked about. Be present with someone and have a conversation with them where you just listen for five minutes. Spend five minutes looking at a tree. Spend five minutes practicing meditation. Spend five minutes being gratitude with someone you care about. Be intentional about it. But all you need is five minutes. So I challenge everyone to do something like that for five minutes. To go on that walk. To pick up a, a book and read it. And I think books, by the way, video games, totally cool ways of getting yourself in the moment. Now, I, I genuinely believe that. Movies, TV shows. Who's to say that's not mindfulness in the best sort of way? You're fixating on something for an extended period of time. Taking in a story. If you look back in Shakespeare works, you wouldn't say that that is some form of mindless entertainment, would you? Quite frankly, it's beautiful. And I think embracing yourself in the arts is a wonderful way of getting yourself mindful. Going to a museum. Again, these are difficult things right now in the quarantine. But these are things that you can do. Right now, society has stalled to a, to a, to a screeching halt. But you can still go on a walk outside. You can still put on one of the best movies that you've ever seen and just watch it. Really take in the subtle beauty. You can still look at art. You can still read a book. You can still think about what makes you happy in life and be grateful. I challenge you guys to put your phone away, like Adam said. 
Put your phone away and be there with the people in your life. These are things that you can do daily and practice them. And I promise down the line, you will be happier. It starts with small steps. But you don't just start with a leap in life. You take a small step. And over time, you're going to look back and see that all those small steps that you took in your life became a leap. So with that, I think that we've shared some pretty incredible things, Adam. you have any closing thoughts that you want to share with us before we, before we leave the conversation? Yeah, I would really... You know, today, today it's so easy to, to just, you know, consume stuff, watch stuff, listen to stuff, read stuff. One of the, I think the biggest problems or challenges or opportunities with, with podcasts are that, you know, there's so many of them now and there's so much news now that it's like just, just absorbing all this stuff and not really doing anything with it. Mm-hmm. I really challenge everybody that's listening here, like Taylor said, to, to do something with this. Take a moment after this and sit down and just write down a few things that you could really take away and start doing here. Because there's this, you know, there's this old, old quote that's pretty popular, knowledge is power. And that's, that's just not true. Knowledge is knowledge is potential power. And nowadays, with with education so widespread, and people are a lot of more people are going to to you know sixteen or, or twenty years of schooling. A lot of people have a lot of information. They have a, a lot of knowledge. It's actually information overload and knowledge overload. And what a lot of people are lacking is action. And so my challenge for everybody is to say that knowledge, this is nice. You've heard a lot of good things here from us today, and, and maybe you like a lot of this stuff, or maybe you don't. Who knows? But you maybe have some new knowledge now, but it's not going to be powerful. It's not going to take you anywhere that you want to go unless you mix in that missing ingredient, uh, that missing piece of the puzzle, which is which is simple action. And so what is a small, simple action that you can take to transform this new knowledge and this new learning into power in your life and make a, make a difference, really make a, make a positive, impactful, meaningful difference in your life. And that's not going to happen from just more, more, more knowledge, more information that's going to come from some action and from some small, small steps so that's my biggest question is what action can you take out of this today? And go take a minute to really, really write something. All right, perfect. All right, guys, as always, thank you so much for listening to The Pursuit. And I can't wait to engage with us next time. Give us thoughts. Give us suggestions. Tell us what you want us to talk about. Let's, let's engage. Let's communicate. And until next time, thank you guys so much.